enough. What a sermon title, huh? <clears throat> Anybody feel like, wow, he's going to be talking to me today. Kind of had to feel like when I was going through this that um, <clears throat> I was really talking to myself when it's never enough. And what I want to do really is start off with a couple of uh, very common words or phrases and um, just kind of want to identify them for us, we think, this morning. I want to talk about building a positive self-image and developing a healthy self-esteem. And the upfront question is, do you know the difference between those two? I never really considered it, so I kind of did some research this week. And then number two, how important do you think uh, a positive self-image and a healthy self-esteem is? I mean, most people would say probably it's pretty important to have a good self-image and, and a healthy self-esteem, right? I think we would all agree with that. And uh, so we're going to look at that today. Um, but the greater question really is, not is it, is it important, but how do we arrive at a positive self-image and a healthy self-esteem? And I'm going to show you something today that may be a little bit surprising and um, give you a couple different terms to think about. And uh, I was thinking about this. I don't know, 25 years ago, if I would have preached this exact same message, probably, I don't know if I would have been able to preach this. You know, you learn things over your years preaching Probably 15 years ago I could have preached it, but probably not in the same terminology and probably not as clearly as I think, hopefully, it comes out today. Um, but here's two key phrases. So we'll start here. Self-image. And one way to look at this is what others think of you or how you think others think of you. That's your self-image. Um, that's one way to look at self-image. And then self-esteem is what you think of you or what you think of you in regards to what others think of you or what you think they think of you. So I've got a self-image, and you guys kind of formulate that self-image, you know. Uh, and then I've got a self-esteem, and it's what I think of myself. And those are two key words. And so we, we really have a, a, an issue here, a common problem, where we feel like in life it's just never enough. And we, we try, we work, we give, and it's just never enough. We feel like um, whatever we've done, we could have done better. Uh, we feel like uh, we're maybe letting the people around us down sometimes. We're, we're failing them. Uh, and maybe that's how you feel sometimes in life. Maybe that's how you felt this past week. You just feel like, boy, I'm just not quite measuring up to what I want to measure up to. So I want to talk about that this morning, that feeling when it's just never enough. And when I feel like it's never enough, just remember, Christ is enough. That's what this series is all about. The sufficiency of Christ in every area of our life. And if you're going through life feeling like, oh, it's just never enough at work, or it's never enough at home, or it's never enough in this area or that area, you need to know Christ is uh, enough. And I, I ran across, well, I shared this a couple weeks ago, Kevin Durant uh, comment. Kevin Durant is probably the second best player in, in professional basketball. He's right behind LeBron James. They would say Kevin Durant's probably second. And Kevin Durant won the championship for the first time two years ago. Weren't the last two years. But two years ago he won it. And the next year he had a lot of uh, technical fouls and a lot of ejections. A lot of more aggressive basket, basketball play you could say. And so they asked him why that was and this was his comment. It's just my emotions and passion for the game. After winning that championship I learned that much hadn't changed. I thought it would fill a certain void. It didn't. And you know you can't reach a higher pinnacle if you play professional sports than winning the championship of your sport. 
In fact, the only thing left after winning the championship of your sport is to win as many championships like Michael Jordan as you can. And therein lies the problem. Because what, what do you, you're constantly, I need to win one more. I need to win as many as I can until I can't win anymore. And there's that thing that it's never enough. How, how do you handle that in life when you feel like it's never <clears throat> enough? And how, now let's ask this question, how does the fact that it feels like it's never enough apply to my self-image and my self-esteem? As I'm trying to build a healthy self-image and develop a positive self-esteem, when I'm, when I'm doing that, the, the reality is how does this feeling that it's never enough kind of interconnect with that reality? Uh, Matthew 11, I might not have this on the notes, I'm going to read it because uh, I might have it out of place. But come to me, in Matthew 11, 28, common, common passage we've used many times, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In your struggle to be enough, do you ever feel exhausted? Do you ever feel like, man, I'm trying to be enough. I'm trying to be enough at home and at work and in all my relationships and sometimes it leaves you feeling exhausted. Well, here's a reality check and this is kind of a surprising thing, but I wonder if there's not some truth in this. I can wear myself out trying to build a positive self-image and develop a healthy self-esteem. Because the world tells me I have to have these, right? Yeah, we, just, we all agree, you know, we need to have a good self-image and a good self-esteem. It's important, it's vital in my life. And I wonder if in our pursuit of that, sometimes that is the very thing that becomes laborious and burdens us down and we end up feeling like it's never enough, that we just don't measure up. Back in Romans 7, Paul is talking in that famous passage where he says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. And in that, in that passage, he has this really fascinating verse, uh, Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Paul says, in my flesh, there's just nothing good in my flesh. And if in my flesh, I'm working every day to build this positive self-image and this healthy self-esteem, it can tend to wear me out. The problem that is my flesh the problem that is always my flesh when I'm living in my flesh and not living in the spirit. So what I want to do is give you two different phrases this morning that we can kind of work off of. And so we'll go back here again, these key phrases. Self-image is who others think you are. Self-esteem is what you think of you. Okay, what others think of you, what you think of you. Here's a third terminology. We use it all the time around your Christ life is what God thinks of you. The Christ life is when God looks, that's what God thinks of you. And it's a lot different from what others think of you and what you think of you. And when you get down what God thinks of you, then you can build this in your life. You can build Christ esteem, which is what you think of you in Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, what you think of you in Christ is going to be a lot more powerful than what you think of you in regards to everybody else. It just is. And I think there is something really powerful about thinking about this reality. If you look at those two words, self-esteem and uh, self-image, and compare them, for instance, with, with the Christ life, you know, there's one glaring difference in those, in those two things, and it's the word self. That's the glaring difference. 
When I'm building self-image and self-esteem, what am I focused on? I'm focused on self. And Paul said it best. He said, there's nothing good in me, in my flesh. Everything, anything good in me is, is Christ. And so I need to have the focus in the right area. And repeatedly throughout the scriptures, we're given this common theme to think of ourselves less. Not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less. To put God first and others before ourselves, And so we need to understand that. And so there's this idea of Christ's esteem. What you think of you in Christ, it is the confidence I find in Christ. It is the self-worth that I find in Christ. Then Christ's esteem, building a, a healthy Christ's esteem in your life is not going to wear you out like when you try to build self-esteem. And that takes us to today's big idea. Better than a healthy self-esteem is a holy Christ-esteem. Better than a healthy self-esteem is a holy Christ-esteem. And we will kind of look at what this looks like. How I see myself in, re- in Christ and in relationship to Christ is more valuable than how I see myself in relationship to anybody else. It really is. He is the standard. And I want us to see that this morning then that the labor that is my pursuit to build a positive self-image and develop a healthy self-esteem, that's the labor that I need to take a rest from. How do we find that rest? By yoking ourselves to Christ. So three key things this morning that overwhelm us. Going back to that Matthew 11 passage and and, and Christ says, come, yoke yourselves to me. We're going to look at what that looks like. What does it mean to yoke myself to Christ? and to find my self-image, my self-worth, my self-esteem, which really becomes Christ's esteem when, when I find that in Christ. Three key things that overwhelm us. First, I am overwhelmed by my work. I am simply overwhelmed by my work. And I think a lot of people fall into this category. We're overwhelmed by our work. We're burdened by all the responsibilities in life, all the things we have to accomplish. We, have all, we, just, we can think, we can make a list of all the things I've got to get accomplished this week. And we look at our life and we judge our life based on our accomplishments, right? What do you, what, you just got done with Bob's funeral and what do we do? We list all his accomplishments and everything he did, everything he was, and it's you know, this long list of accomplishments. You ever get tired of money? You like me, you ever get tired of money? I mean, the way money runs your life, you have to have money for this, you have to have money for that. Wouldn't you just love to live in a world where you never needed money? I think that's going to be heaven. I don't think there's money, I don't hope there's not money in heaven. I don't think there will be. But I mean, there's this reality where you need to just... And, and, and how do you get more money? Play the lottery? No. Yeah, you, yeah, you got to more work. You want more money, you got to do more work. And so we're constantly overwhelmed by this reality of work. The truth is we really don't need as much as we think we do. That's another sermon for another day. But uh, the reality is money comes in and overwhelms us. And we, we think about this issue. The reality is the house could always be cleaner. The yard could always be greener. The family could be closer. That vacation could be longer. We, you know, things could always be a little bit better when it comes to the work that we're doing. And uh, we're just overwhelmed by our work. Now, here's the thing about when you think about your work. First, know that God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And when he created them, he designed them to do work. He did. He put them in the garden and told them to take care of the garden, to upkeep it, wherever that looked like. And then he also gave them the assignment of naming all the animals. Think about that. I mean, think about that. They named all of the animals. Now, when and how, I don't know. I I would assume they did it before the fall. But they named all of those animals. And I don't think they got overwhelmed. 
Why? Because they did it through the Spirit and not through the flesh. See, we were designed to do work. And so when we do the work through, through the Spirit of God within us, it won't be overwhelming to us. God must have looked at them and said, you can name all of these animals and it, it won't be too much for you to do. At the same time, once we are saved, well, what are we saved for? We're saved again to do good works, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God designed us for good works, He created us for good works, designed us for good works, and then once we're saved, He sets us apart to do more good works. But notice the good works we do here. He says that we should walk in them. And that word walk, it's kind of like the conduct of our life. It's, it's my walk with Christ. The good works I do, they just flow naturally out of my walk with Christ. As I'm walking with Christ, as I'm living out the Christ life, I'm just naturally going to do the good works He has called me to do. You find this word in other places in Scripture. It says to walk worthy of our calling, to walk in love, to not walk in the flesh, but to walk in the spirit. That's that same word, walk. It's just a natural flow in my life. So herein lies our problem then. The problem's not work. If I'm overwhelmed with my work, the problem is not work. I was created and designed and set apart to do work. So that's the reality. So what is the issue then when we think about being overwhelmed by our work? The problem is not that we don't work hard enough, it's that we don't rely on the strength of Christ enough. And that we're not working really, my work is not flowing out of my relationship with Christ. It's not flowing out of my natural walk with Christ. My work is coming out of my flesh and there's no good thing in my flesh. You see, we look at everything we do and we think if I just try a little harder, if I work a little longer, then... I'll be more content with my work. And it doesn't work that way. It's kind of like, did you ever pull weeds in your lawn by hand? Yeah, don't try. <laughs> you know, you, have that, you try, you know, and the more you pull, the more there's more weeds to pull. <laughs> there's just more and more and more and more and more. And that's kind of working in our flesh. We have to see how Christ is enough when it comes to the work and the chores that challenge us. And so Adam and Eve named all those animals and they did it through the Holy Spirit in them. So the solution to this then, the solution Jesus says is simple. Come to me, yoke yourselves to me and you'll find rest for your souls. So what does that look like? Let's look at that practically. What does it look like when I yoke? Well, yoke can be purpose. If I yoke myself to Christ, he's going to give me a purpose for the work that I do. I won't just be working for a paycheck, but I'll be working for a purpose. The truth is we can work for more than money. Yeah, we need food and shelter. We do, but I'm going to tell you something. You also need purpose. If you're working and you don't have a purpose to your work, your work's going to be exhausting. You'll need a rest from your work. We can work for an eternal and lasting purpose. Even if you have a job that you really hate, you may hate your job, but I'm telling you, if you trust the Lord and work in, 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 in harmony with, your, with, with Christ, He will show you why you're there and you can find a deeper purpose in a job that you hate. You really can. Not that you have to stay at a job you hate, but if you're there, you can find a greater purpose in it. 
Our work is stressful when we're focused on ourselves. when we're focused on our self-image and our self-esteem and our self-worth and all of our accomplishments. When I yoke myself to Christ, what he does is he flips all that accomplishment stuff around and I am now working to accomplish his purposes and working for his glory. That's amazing. That, that is so incredibly Amazing. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Can I paraphrase that for you this morning? Here's my paraphrase. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for yourself. Don't go work for yourself. Work for God's purposes. Work for the glory. Yoke yourself to Christ and you'll be amazed. When you work for your own glory, when you rack up accomplishments that feed your self-image, self-esteem, and self-worth, you will eventually become overwhelmed with your work because if you find your self-worth in what you do, you will have to keep doing and doing and doing, and it will always take more to build that, to build your self-worth, self-image, and self-esteem. So learn to work for God's glory at every turn. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What a great verse for all of us to take to work every week and say, hopefully God's glory shines out of whatever I do here on the job. Hopefully it shines out for everyone to see the glory of God out of my life. Yoke. And then yoke also equals strength. Think about this. Yoke equals strength. Remember 2 Corinthians 12.10? When I am weak, then I am strong. When we yoke ourselves to Christ, we get the strength of Christ. And that strength in part comes when I'm seeking the glory of God. When I seek God's glory, it will empower me. It will give me a strength that I will not find if I'm seeking my own glory and worried about my own accomplishments. Think about Christ on the cross again and how he was empowered on the cross to carry out his mission. And and how did he do that? I always say, I always stress this, you know, again, it's back to our science school class. He didn't he didn't play his God card. He didn't hang on the cross in the power of his deity. He hung on there in his humanity. Just as we have to bear our cross. He bore our cross. And so when Christ comes to us, I said this a couple weeks ago, Christ comes to us in Matthew 11 and says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, learn from me. How can I learn from Christ? Because he didn't play his God card. Because he approached life like we do. He was sinless and he was 100% God. And he was all, but he approached life and his challenges and his work in the same way that you and I have to approach ours. So he says, hey, come to me. I can teach you how to do it. You do it through the authority of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, your work is not overwhelming. Yoke yourself to me now today, he says. Come along with me. I've, I've been there. I've, I know how to do this. Yoke yourself to me and I will help you to handle your work and not be overwhelmed. And then yoke can also be confidence. Yoke yourself to Christ. You'll get an incredible confidence. Greater than a self-confidence is a Christ confidence that you have the confidence of God in you, that you can, you can handle anything that comes your way. I love Philippians 3.3. 3. For it is, Paul says, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Our flesh exhausts ourselves. If, if you find yourself overwhelmed with work and exhausted and uh, burdened down, you're working in your flesh. You're not working in the Holy Spirit. And I say that to myself this morning as much as anyone because we're all there. We, it's, that's the challenge. 
How do I work from the Christ life? One last thing here, and we'll go to the second lesson. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting when Jesus hung on the cross and John 19.30, we read this last week, he said, it is finished. Uh, there on the cross, he said, it is finished. And I was thinking about that reality, what that looks like. When he said it is finished, when he completed the gospel, he was saying that he had covered the, the sins of, of mankind, so we, we find forgiveness there. But the other thing that happens at the cross, not only is it the forgiveness of sins, it's that when it was finished, now Christ was able to resurrect himself into you. He was able to come and live in you. And I really think there's some truth in this reality that it is finished means we are finished. It is finished. He did the work. I mean, he did the work, and now he can come live in you. And when he comes and lives in us, he will do the work through us. He will empower us. He will uh, strengthen us. And there's something about that, that the laborious part of, of work, it, it's still there. We live in this world. We have to do it. But we find our strength in Christ. Not saying we don't have to work in this world today. I'm not saying it's not laborious. I'm just saying the way we approach our work. Christ shows us how to do that through his strength. So we want to build this, this holy self-esteem, not just a healthy, we want to build a holy Christ-esteem, not a healthy self-esteem. That's what we're looking to build and um, we need to really focus on Christ. Over the last decade, anxiety has overtaken depression as the most common reason college students seek counseling services. In its annual survey of students, the American College of Health Association found a significant increase to 62% in 2016 from 50% in 2011 of, uh, of undergraduates reporting overwhelming anxiety in the previous year. Surveys that look at symptoms related to anxiety are also telling. In 1985, the Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA began asking incoming college freshmen if they felt overwhelmed by all they had to do during the previous year. In 1985, 18% said they did. By 2010, that number had increased to 29%. Last year, it surged to 41%. For many of these young people, the biggest single stressor is that they never get to the point where they can say, I've done enough and now I can stop. One expert says, there's always one more activity, one more AP class, one more thing to do in order to get to a top college. Kids have a sense that they're not measuring up. The pressure is relentless and it's getting worse. Here's our second lesson today. Here's our second lesson today. I am overwhelmed by your approval of my work. I'm overwhelmed by your approval of my work. So I'm overwhelmed by my work, but then I'm overwhelmed by your approval of my work. If you labor in life and are heavy laden, what do you need a rest from? How about a rest from the opinion and the approval of other people? That's really the thing. How about the expectations that wear us down? The problem here, though, is not that other people have an opinion of us or for us. The problem is that their opinion is more important than God's. Their approval is more important to us than God's. That's the sad reality. 
That is the very sad reality. Take my yoke upon you. Again, that's the solution to this if we're overwhelmed by the approval and opinions of others. Romans chapter 12. Here's what what, uh, Paul writes. "I, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And there are three words in there we can kind of pull out. But let's think about this again in practical terms, okay? So when I yoke myself to to Christ, I need to seek His approval rather than seeking the world's approval. That's the simple reality. There is a difference between God's approval and the world's approval. And I can tell you one of the big differences is this, is that people's approval is oftentimes performance-based. Oftentimes, people's approval is performance-based. Back in Romans 12, it talks about being conformed. It says, don't be conformed to this world. When I start living for the approval of, of the people of this world, my life will begin to conform to look like this world. I love the paraphrase uh, by Phillips. He writes a paraphrase for Romans 12 too. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. When When I'm worried about the opinion of other people and the approval of other people, they'll begin to mold me into their mold. I'll begin to look like them. Bible tells us the world is uncomfortable with the light. They like the dark. And what they're going to do is they're going to drive you out of the light and they're going to they're dim your light if you, if you try to seek the approval of the people in this world. It can be a little bit like, you know, you think about the better we perform, the more people approve of us. It's kind of like being president of the United States. I mean, think about what that's got to be like to be the president, right? If you're the president and the economy is going great and inflation is steady, if, the, if jobs are up and gas prices are down, if consumer confidence is high and gas prices are low, whatever, I think I got that backwards. But anyway, the reality is you can have all these things going well and the better things are going all around you in the economy, well, then what? People approve of you. Things aren't going well in the economy, well, they may not approve of you. And so... Um, Unless you're Donald Trump, and I don't think some people will ever approve of you. <laughs> we kind of see that today. But the, but the reality is being president is so approval-based, and you have your poll numbers, and you, know, you don't want to live your life that way. You just don't want to live for the approval of other people. So you don't want to live conformed to this world. Christ says to us, yoke yourselves to me because God's approval is not based on your performance. It's based on mine and what I did at the cross. That's the reality. Another way we think about this, how about yoking yourself to the world in the idea of opinions? And, the, and let me tell you, in the world today, people have no shortage of opinions, right? People have all kinds of opinions about your life. They'll have all kinds of opinions about your life. People's opinions, though, here's the thing you need to know. People's opinions are oftentimes self-serving. People's opinions are oftentimes very self-serving people may have an opinion for me about something in my life but you got to be very aware that just instinctively our opinions will often be self-serving 
even when we don't intend them to be, they can be that way. Now, here's the thing. You could almost make the case that God doesn't even have an opinion. I was thinking about this. If you look at the definition of an opinion, it's a view or judgment formed about something not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. Now think about that. There's an opinion, a view or judgment, but not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. I don't think God has opinions. But I think God has, I think God has truth. The world has opinions, God has truth. There's a big difference. If you yoke yourselves to Christ, you may not get an opinion, but you'll get the truth. He'll tell you the truth. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong today. Everything's not black and white, and so I'm not saying today that we can't ever form opinions on things. We can. But we want our opinions, just realize it, to be shaped by God's word, by God's son, by God's truth. That's... And I'm just telling you, when you yoke yourselves to Christ, you, you might not get as many opinions, but you will get the truth. Back in Romans 12, he uses that word acceptable. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I'm telling you, what's acceptable to this world, in their opinion, will be different what's acceptable to God when it comes to the truth. Yoke yourselves to Christ, and you will know what is acceptable what is true and here's the thing while people's opinions oftentimes can be self-serving god's truth always has our best in mind god's truth always has what is best for us in mind and then the third one is yoking yourselves and there's counsel think about that yoking yourselves to christ and kind of similar but you can get really good counsel we all need counsel sometimes in life right counsel is when we ask for someone's opinion Opinion, they just give it to us, but our counsel, we, we want someone's advice on a situation, right? We go to people, I need counsel in this area. What do I do? And God says, when you need counsel, yoke yourself to me. I'll give you personal counsel based on the truth. Now, here's the thing. People's counsel is oftentimes short-sighted. What I mean by that is a person can give you counsel, but they're not going to see the big picture of what God's doing in your life. And they're not always going to look through the eyes of faith. And so we have to be a little careful sometimes when we go out and we trust the counsel of the people around us because we have to realize sometimes they, are, they can't see everything that God can see. Back in Romans, we have this phrase, the will of God. And he says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Yoke yourself to Christ. And you're going to know, you're going to get good, solid counsel. Now, all of that said, is that to say we're not to build relationships with other people? Actually, no. The, the Bible's very clear. We need to have friends that can give us good counsel. And I was thinking about that then in regards to this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, here's what Paul says. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light? with darkness what accord has christ with belial or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever and i'm just going to tell you here be very careful who you yoke yourself to in this world yoke yourself to christ yes but we're supposed to provoke each other to love and good works we're supposed to be and and, and this is often applied to, to marriage but just in general in our relationships build relationships with people that you can 
You know, when they give you their opinion, it's going to be based on truth. When they give you counsel, it's going to be based on trying to see the big picture of what God's doing in your life. And it's going to be seen through the eyes of faith. And, and their approval is going to kind of match up with God's approval. We need to yoke ourselves to those kinds of people. Otherwise, we'll end up, again, exhausted and overwhelmed in life, trying to live for the approval of others. Renowned chef Sebastian Bross uh, has some great perspective here. For over 100 years, Michelin has not only produced high-quality auto tires, but also the premier guide to fine dining. Achieving or losing even one star in Michelin's restaurant rating can have a dramatic effect on the success of a restaurant. One famous chef claimed, Michelin is the only guide that counts. That's why the restaurant world was shocked when Sebastian Brass, one of France's most celebrated chefs, declared that he wanted to be dropped from Michelin's rankings. For over 20 years, Brass has been honored with three stars, the highest rating. Michelin's restaurant uh, judges called his food spellbinding. But in September 2017, Brass said the pressure to perform was too much. Brass announced today at 46 years old, I want to give new meaning to my life and redefine what is essential. He said his job had given him a lot of satisfaction, but there was also a huge pressure that was inevitably linked to the three Michelin stars first given to the restaurant in 1999. He asked to be allowed to continue his work with a free spirit and in serenity away from the world of rankings without tension. Bross said, May, maybe I will be less famous, but I'll accept that, adding that he would continue to cook excellent local produce without wondering whether my creations will appeal to Michelin's inspector the reality is performance-based living can certainly be exhausting and you want to break free from that we do so i'm overwhelmed by my work i'm overwhelmed by your approval of my work and finally i am overwhelmed by god's acceptance of my work i thought this was kind of interesting when i when i wrote it because you know on one hand we're all concerned with the world's approval over God's approval so easily. And yet at the same time, I want to know that God will accept my work. I want to know that I'm good enough. In fact, I thought of another interesting scenario. You know, you talk today to people about sin, and a lot of people will say, oh, sin's not a big deal. Sin, sin's not that big of a deal. It's really, you know, sin's, sin's not that. And then you ask somebody, how do you get into heaven? And they'll say, well, you got to do more good than bad. And I thought, isn't that interesting that they look at how you get into heaven as kind of like a scale. I got to do more good stuff than I do bad stuff. But the bad stuff I do really doesn't matter. It's kind of like a contradiction. It's kind of like instinctively inside of us, we know that bad stuff we do. We know our sin is not good. We know it. And so there's this reality. In fact, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And the right way to man is that we earn our salvation, that I live a good enough life, I do enough good stuff that I can get into heaven. And so on one hand, the world tells us, yeah, you gotta, you gotta earn your salvation, you, you got, but if my sin doesn't matter, why don't we just all go to heaven? If my sin's not that big of a deal. Because we know our sin really is a big deal. So the reality is, the question is, do we have to earn, does heaven have to be earned? Yeah. But only Christ could earn it. And Christ went to the cross and paid the price, which was death, paid the, paid the price to earn heaven for you 
and me. So we have a world full of people today trying to build a positive self-image and develop a healthy self-esteem. And part of that equation is they're concerned with, well, will God accept what I do? Will God accept my works? Am I good enough? We carry around a lot of guilt, regrets, failures, and yes, sins today. And I say sins in the plural because we know our sins specifically. It's not just like I'm a sinner. I know I've got sins. We all know that. The world knows that. So what is the issue again? What, well, first, the problem is simply this. The problem is not that I sin too greatly. It's that I don't understand the greatness of God's grace. I just don't get the greatness of the grace of God. And so again, I need to come along and yoke myself to Christ. If I'm living with this, oh, will God accept me? You need to yoke yourself to Christ. Yoke in the sense of grace. We need to come to grace. Yoke yourself to, to Christ and His grace and it will obliterate your guilt. It really will obliterate your guilt. Some people struggle with grace. Some people struggle with the issue of grace because they feel like, well, grace just gives people the license to go out and sin. We can just go out and do whatever we want because of grace. And, and so Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians 6. He asks the same question twice. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What then, verse 15, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. So Paul says, well, his question makes it very clear that you can abuse grace. You can take advantage of God's grace. You shouldn't and you shouldn't want to. But you can. And so people struggle with that. But yeah, but I, how, can, how can God set it up like that? And the reality is what, what people don't understand about grace is they don't understand why God operates that way, the goal of grace. Here's a simple thing. Go back to the Old Testament when God had the law. Go through the Gospels when God had the law and ask yourselves, did the people live holy, righteous, set-apart lives? Did they live lives that glorified God? No. They had, all the, they had it in black and white. Just do, these, just do these things here, you know, and you'll be perfect. And they couldn't do that. Throughout the Old Testament, God repeatedly was patient with them and he would finally come in at the last second and rescue them and he'd get them set back on the right path again and they'd just wander right back off. So the law never was able to accomplish. And so look at this passage in Titus 2. Here's the, here's the purpose of grace. Look what grace is supposed to do. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So grace saves us from our sins, right? But then look at verse 12. Grace training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous of good works. Wow. God's grace is to train us to live a life that is glorifying to God. God's grace is, in essence, going to do what the law could never do. I mean, God had the law in, in, in what, 4,000 years in the Old Testament, he had the law. The law never accomplished, the law never accomplished that. And so he said the last 2,000 years he's been trying grace. And the idea is that God's grace is, yes, you can take advantage of it, yes, you can abuse it, 
but it's to motivate us. It's to train us to live a life that is glorifying to God. God's grace is to accomplish what the law could not accomplish. Yoke yourself to Christ and his grace, and his grace will actually train you how to live the life you want to live in Christ. And it will do a better job than any law, than any legalistic approach to life can do. God's grace will teach me how to live the Christ life and how to develop a holy Christ esteem within me. And then also we can yoke ourselves to Christ in his righteousness. And the reality is I am accepted based on Christ's righteousness and not mine. The work that Christ did on the cross, not the work I do for him in this world. And again, all you have to do is go to the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, God had these sacrifices that they had to offer. And they had to offer them in a certain manner, a certain time, a certain way. And then they would be acceptable to God. And the Bible tells us that at just the right time, God sent his son into the world, born of a woman, who at just the right time, in just the right way, in just the right manner, died on the cross for your sins and mine, and he is the acceptable sacrifice for us today, and he is our righteousness. When I receive that sacrifice, I am considered holy, I am considered pure, I am considered right. I receive his righteousness. Yoke yourself to Christ. What an amazing thing. I love this. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And think about this. God accepts us just as we are. And God accepts us in whatever we will become. Think about that. Whatever we will be. And he accepts me here today and I accept Christ. And 20 years later, I may have wandered away from him and be living the worst life, but I am his son. I've been adopted into his family. I have the righteousness of Christ and that's the simple reality. That's an amazing thing to think about. Amazing indeed. Amazing. So I am overwhelmed by my work. I am overwhelmed by your approval of my work and I am overwhelmed by God's acceptance of my work. And I need to yoke myself to Christ and his purpose, his strength, his confidence, his approval, his opinion over truth, his counsel, his grace, and his righteousness. This is everything that I can find in the Christ life and everything that helps me build my Christ esteem. You see, a holy Christ esteem beats a healthy self-esteem every single day. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For it is we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Your flesh will wear you out, but... Not Christ. Learn to live the Christ life. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words today. You know how much they meant to me this week. Just need to continually hear this. Need to continually look in the mirror in my own life and say, am I, am I building the Christ life within me and am I, am I developing a healthy Christ esteem where everything is about Christ. I'm living for his glory. I'm fulfilling his purposes. I'm, 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 I'm getting his truth and his strength and all of that is just working in my life. I pray for each one of us here today. 
Each one of us heard this message. We heard a verse. We heard a thought. We heard an idea. And I pray that whatever we needed to hear today, we will take it home and put it to work in our life. That you will become more alive in us. That you will become more alive in our church. That you will just unleash yourself on this community and on our families and whatever. That we would just unleash you from within. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.